Okay, today in part three, we're going to talk about enjoy your, what's the word? Marriage. Wow, this is going to be, I know, boo, boo. Okay, listen, listen, here's what you got to do. If you're not married, and if you don't ever want to get married, you are required to enjoy this sermon in abundance to the full till it overflows, right? Isn't that exciting? Okay. <laughs> and if you want to get married, you need to hold all this stuff in so when you get married, you'll be all ready. Here's why I'm doing this. A few reasons. Number one is this, is that um, we have a bunch of couples in our church getting married this year and have gotten married recently, and I'm too cheap to buy them a gift. So this is my gift. Anthony and Alyssa, this is my gift. I'm dressed for the wedding. This is my present. If I had gotten paid $10 an hour for every hour I studied for the sermon, y'all would have a really nice gift if I'd used the money to buy the app. But I didn't, okay? This is their present. And so we're going to enjoy their present along with... Isn't that exciting? Yeah. Okay, here's the other reason we're preaching on this. The Bible, um, the word enjoy is very rare in the Bible. You see the word joy and to have joy... But enjoy is rare, and there's two scriptures I want to point out today that have the word enjoy in it. 1 Peter 3, 2 says this, wives are to enjoy their husbands, not change them, not fix them, not nag them, but enjoy them. It says in Ecclesiastes 9, 9, enjoy life with your spouse, enjoy loving her, for each day is a gift from God. Enjoy, everybody say, I enjoy what God tells me to enjoy. Okay, so there's three points today, okay? And this is why it's a long sermon, because I've never preached on this, and I probably never will again, but, um, but there's three points, okay? We're going to talk about divorce as well, and what the Bible says about it, and I've never, I don't think I've ever heard a minister preach exactly what the Bible says. I'm going to show you some really interesting stuff you're going to love, but I want you to know, um, this is not any kind of condemnation. If I was preaching on lying telling lies, y'all have lied before, and you're going to lie again, but you wouldn't feel condemned, right? You'd be like, okay, I'm convicted, that's a good sermon. Okay, so I've been through a divorce. I didn't want the divorce, I didn't file for the divorce, but I've been through it. And so if I'm not going to be condemned today, I don't want any of y'all to be condemned. I want y'all to be inspired. I want you, to, in fact, what I'm going to teach you today, the greatest chapter for your notes in the whole Bible on marriage is Matthew 19. It's not Ephesians 5, that's the second greatest. Everyone thinks it's Matthew 5. It's actually, uh, Matt, it, uh, thinks it's Ephesians 5. It's actually Matthew 19. Jesus talked about marriage and divorce in Matthew 19. This is God talking, okay? And that's what the whole sermons are based off. What's interesting is, after Jesus told his disciples and the people around him how important marriage is, here's what the disciples said. It's better that we don't get married. We're not going to get married. If it's that important, if it's that powerful, we don't know if we can handle it. After Jesus preached on marriage and divorce, that's how powerful marriage is. And so we're going to talk about that. So three points today. Now, each point has an incredibly deep point to start off, and then I'm going to give it a very practical application. Very deep and then practical application. Okay? Are you ready? Say, oh, yeah. Okay, number one is this. Enjoy unity. Enjoy unity. Now, here's the thing about unity. Marriage represents the Trinity. Everybody say the Trinity. Okay, the Trinity is three in one, right? Watch this. It's, it's like water, uh, H2O. You got a solid, a liquid, and a gas. It's still water. It's three in one. And when God wanted to put a picture of himself on earth, he didn't use a man. He didn't use two men or two women. He didn't just use any man and any woman. He used a husband and a wife to create a picture of himself on earth. Genesis 1.26 says, God said, let us 
make mankind in our. There's plural there. I want you to understand something. The Trinity was in the beginning. Before the fall of man, at the very beginning in creation, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were there. They're three in one. And they never argue. Jesus never says, I'd like to heal this paralyzed man. And God the Father says, nah, we shouldn't do it today. No, none of that. The Holy Spirit um, says, I would like to infuse the life of this believer and give them favor. And then Jesus says, ah, maybe we'll do it later. No, no, there's no, there's no, they're, they're in perfect unity. Perfect unity. And when, in the beginning, when the Trinity began to create, let us make mankind in our image and likeness so that they, not so that he, so that they may rule. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Um, let me say let me say this. Um, Satan never attacked Adam until the image of God was on earth through he and his wife. Satan wasn't scared until he saw an image of God the Creator on earth. Satan waited, and I'm not saying Satan doesn't attack single people. I'm just saying in creation, Satan was not scared until the image of God showed up on earth. When God wanted to make a picture of himself, he used marriage. He didn't use husband and wife and child. And so you don't, people, the, the children don't come before the spouse. The spouse comes before the child. Please, please understand that. This is why I'm so big about parents taking their kids to the nursery if the child cries or is moving around during church. Number one, it's incredibly rude to the people next to them. But number two, husband and wife need their time to hear from God without the kids around. They need date times without the kids around. God didn't say, hey, let us make husband, wife, and child in our image. It was mankind together he created them. So um, creation began, uh, and in Genesis 2.18, God said, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. The first thing God ever stated was not good was for man to be alone. And that word not good meant incomplete, incomplete. For man to be alone. Uh, here's the interesting thing. Man wasn't alone. God was with him. God was walking and talking with Adam. He said, you're alone. What? You're, not, you're incomplete. What? Incomplete? God, you're with me. There was something so needed in woman that, that man was not complete, with, and this is before the fall, was not complete without his wife. And so he created Eve. In Genesis 2.23, this is very important theology. I'm going to teach you a lot of theology. We're going to exegete. We're, we're really exegeting Matthew 19. All this is Matthew 19. The man, said, the man said it. God didn't say this. Listen, this is very important. You see that Adam said these words. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. That was her species, not her name. Woman, for she was taken out of man. In verse 24, this is the reason why man leaves his father and mother and is united Equally, everybody say equally. Equally yoked to his wife that they may become one flesh. One flesh. Okay. That word equally yoked or united or joined together, um, it refers to whenever they would yoke two animals together. It wasn't 80-20. It wasn't 40-60. In fact, in fact, it wasn't even 50-50. Marriage is 100 and 100. It's not 50-50, it's 100 and 100. And here's the interesting thing, they become one flesh. Here's what I want you to say, well, the Trinity, that's three. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, marriage is two. No, marriage isn't two. Marriage is three. Because without God, there's going to be no unity in the marriage. 
Without God, you have to have God in there. So um, they're joined together. Now here's, here's what I want you to understand is that this is before the fall, before the fall, even Adam said we're equal. We're joined together. Before the fall, there was no, hey, wife, you need to submit to your husband. There was none of that. Totally equal before the fall, okay? You gotta, it's very important you understand this. Um, and a lot of people think when the fall happened and, 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 and Satan was there, people think, oh, Satan tempted Eve, and then she runs and goes and finds her husband and gives him a bite of the fruit. That's not what happened. You've got to read your Bible. Genesis 3, 6 says, she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Listen real close. The husband stood there while Satan spoke to his wife, and he did nothing. The husband stood right there while the devil himself was deceiving his wife, and he did nothing. Now, this is, this is, so before the fall, they're equal, right? Before the fall, before the fall, God's the head, husband and wife are equal, and all there, they are completely unified. Everybody say unified. Okay. After the fall, everybody say after the fall. This is when the curse is set in. Genesis 3.16. Here was a curse. You will desire your husband, but he will rule over you. Listen real close. Any husband that is a bully or thinks his wife must submit to him is under the curse. It's under the curse. It was that the husband was never supposed to be in charge or head or the wife. That's not how God created it at all. He created them equal, together. After the curse, or before the curse, Adam's like, she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We are one after the curse in Genesis 3. No, we're separate now. In fact, in fact, I didn't want this up there yet, but that's okay. Genesis 3.20 says... Adam named his wife Eve. Listen real close. Before the fall, they were one. After the fall, he named his wife Eve. I have a question for you, big question. What was the name of the first woman in the Bible? Her name was not Eve. Her name was Eve after the fall. Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 5 are not in chronological order. They're separate accounts. Listen, y'all can stop guessing now. I'm going to tell you the answer. Um, you can keep guessing, but we can go through the whole Bible if you want to. In Genesis 5, 2, it tells us what God himself named her. This is before the fall. Genesis 5, 2. He created them male and female and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day they were created. Before the fall, after the fall, Listen, before the fall, every human being on planet Earth was in a perfect relationship with themselves and with God. Now, I know there were only two human beings, but still. So before the fall, perfect relationship is equal. God's in charge. We're together. After the fall, they're separated from God and each other. And Adam named his wife Eve. So, you need to, so let me explain point number one in a very practical way. Um, here's what marriage is supposed to look like if you don't want to live under the curse. Now, let me say this too. The word curse in the Bible doesn't mean God curses people. The word curse means it was not God's plan and people chose to live that way. That's what it means. The curse is not God's plan. Not God's plan, not God's plan, not God's plan. So what about these verses in the New Testament about husbands submit to your wives? Well, first of all, it says husbands submit to God. Let's say that's the first thing right there. Um, but second of all, here's what marriage should look like. Um, when God told Adam, I'm going to make you a suitable helper, that word suitable, it comes from a, a word neged, and it means far superior. 
you understand that women are far superior relationally than men are? We all agree with that, right? Okay. Let me give you another point. Men are, I mean, women are also far superior dancers. Does everyone agree with that? At least in my marriage, Mike is a way better dancer than me. And I know for a fact in Dan and Erica's marriage, Erica's a way better dancer than Dan. Like, by far, okay? So it's like this. A husband's not the best dancer. So here's what the, it's like this. A husband has to seek out an instructor. Teach me how to dance. Teach me how to dance. Every day he learns the foxtrot. The next day he learns the floss. The next day he learns the worm. Whatever, whatever dance moves, okay? Then he goes dancing with his wife. And when people see them, they're in such unity. I mean, the spotlight's on them. There's a crowd around them. They're dressed nice. They're in a ballroom. And they're just dancing together. And everyone's just in awe because they're just flowing so well together. They think, man, they're in perfect unity. But if you look behind the scenes, you'll discover the man had to seek instruction every single day. He had to keep going back to the dance instructor. I need you to help me with this move. How do I do this better? And then they're out there dancing. Everyone thinks they're in perfect unity. But if you ask the dance instructor, he'll say, the husband's actually leading. Actually leading the dance. You would never know it. They're in such unity. And you say, well, how is he able to lead this dance? It's because he goes to the instructor every single day. A woman does not want her husband to make her happy. A wife wants her husband to find God's will for their marriage. If you, really, if you sat down with a lady and you listened to her talk for hours and hours and hours, you would get to the base of her heart. The foundation of every woman's heart is not, I want a man that will make me happy. Here's what she wants. I want a husband that will seek God's will for how we should spend our finances. I want a husband that will seek God's will for how we should raise our children. I want a husband that will seek God's will for how we need to serve God. That's the cry of every woman's heart. She don't care if you get it right or not. She just wants you to try to figure out what God wants for that marriage and bring the team into agreement. A healthy New Testament marriage is where the husband seeks from the instructor every single day and says, how can I bring us into one? And that's the goal for unity in a marriage. Number one was enjoy unity. Number two is this, enjoy connecting. Here's the deep point for this. Marriage represents Christ and the church relationship. When you, the highest covenant between any two human beings on planet earth is marriage. And all through the Bible, we see marriage is the Trinity. Marriage is the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. I mean, on and on, marriage is the New Testament salvation. It just represents everything. And so Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 is 11 scriptures. And I exegeted these scriptures for you. And I'm going to tell you in my pastoral synopsis exactly what's going on. You can study yourself. But here's the gist of uh, the 11 scriptures in Ephesians 5, 22-33. Marriage represents the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. In this representation, the husband is Christ and the wife is the church body or the bride of Christ. Okay, here's what this means. A husband's trying to win some dude to the Lord. And he's telling his friend about Jesus and telling his friend about getting saved and giving his life to him. And the friend says, okay, I'm this close to giving my life to Jesus. But tell me something. If I give my life to God, if I surrender control of my life to him, how is God going to treat me? And here's what your answer should be, men. The same way I treat my wife. That's how God's going to treat you. The same way that I love my wife. The same way that I forgive my wife. The same way that I serve my wife, 
the same way that I think about my wife daily, the same way I communicate with my wife. This is how God's going to treat you if you give your life to him. And then the wife, she's trying to win one of her friends to the Lord and tell them about church and tell them about Jesus. And one of her friends says, well, tell me if I come to your church, what is your church like? Here's what the wife should be able to say. My church serves God the same way I serve my husband. We praise and worship God every week. I love to affirm my husband. We serve God by doing this. I love to serve my husband. The way we spend time with God, I just love spending time with him. I just love spending time with my husband. Marriage represents the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. And there's two main ways we should connect in our marriage. Number one is this, connect verbally. Connect verbally. Women especially love communication, verbal communication. Every relationship rises and falls on communication. Everyone that you love in your life is because they communicate well with you in your life. Everybody who you don't like in your life is the people that you don't like communicating with. Everything is communication. Communication, communication, communication. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And in Proverbs 31, 29, he would tell his wife every morning, there are many women, but you excel every single one of them. Some ladies have not heard a compliment in years. And listen real close. If you affirm any person on earth more than you affirm your spouse, something's wrong and you need to change. If you affirm your boss to play up to him or her, or you affirm these people here and you're not affirming your spouse, you really need to dial it back a little bit and focus on your marriage. Uh, verse 28 in the scripture says this, the husband boasts and praises her and then the children rise up and call her blessed. The same way you speak to your spouse is the same way your children are going to treat you. The same way you talk about your spouse is the same way your kids are going to talk about y'all. And if you have an ex, don't ever let your children ever let you hear it say anything negative about their parent. Ever, 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 ever. Don't ever do that. The way we talk about our spouse and treat our spouse is the way our children are going to rise up and either respect or disrespect their parents. And if you want them to respect you, you've got to learn how to respect your spouse. And communication's everything. Affirmation's everything. It's so important. It's so vitally important. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, treat your wives with honor so that your prayers aren't hindered. I've studied the whole Bible, and the Bible's all about relationships. I mean, with your enemies, with your friends, with your family, with your kids. And the only time in the whole Bible where it says, your prayers to the creator of the universe will be hindered is when you don't treat your wife with respect. Here's the other way we connect. You need to have tons and tons and tons and tons of sex. And tons and tons. And then extra tons after that. Just keep. Um, I know you want to laugh. You can laugh if you want to. I don't know if you want to or not. But this is the reason your husband came to church today was to hear this point right here. He's never going to any other church the rest of his life. He will be here forever because of this one point right here. Um, I'm going to tell you something that I could spend hours proving to you, but I just need you to believe me. A lot of times we think we know who we are. And we have a, a person who we, we think that we know who we are, okay? Who you really are, not who your friends think you are, not who your co-workers think you are, not even who you think you are. Who you really are is seen in how healthy your communication is to your spouse and how healthy your sex life is with your spouse. That's who you really are. Who you really, 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 really are. 
is who you really are in your marriage. Because listen, you can fake it with everybody in the world. You can fake it with your pastor. You can fake it with your friends. You can fake it with you. But you cannot fake it with your spouse. Who you really are in your marriage is who you really, really, really are. You know, I, I read where there's a, a Yale, um, some, a psychology group at Yale University. They can predict a divorce up to 93% accuracy based on hanging out with a husband and wife for just three or four hours and hearing them talk to each other. They can base whether or not, they can base on, on, on how you talk to each other on whether or not you're going to get a divorce up to a 93% accurate, simply based on communication and how you connect one-on-one. -on -one. That's it. So uh, Song of Solomon, there was this, this husband who really wanted to be with his wife sexually. He really wanted to hang out with her. He was very passionate. He wanted to spend time with her, but she made excuses. I'm sure she said something like, well, I'm going to have to take a shower. Well, take a stinking shower. I've been with the kids all day long. Wait a minute. So you had the emotional energy in you to spend time with me, but you spent it all on the children? How do you think God's going to respond to that when your children have come before your marriage? You say, well, it's not, sex isn't that important to me. Okay, I, I read some surveys, and, and if you ask husbands across America, sex ranks at either number one or number two is the most important need they have in a marriage. Women ranked at number 13. Number 12 was gardening. Okay? So, <laughs> I didn't make that up. Y'all got problems. Anyway, and so, um, and so maybe she said something like this. Maybe she said, oh, honey, I've had such a long day at work. So you had the energy to make that sale, to invest in those people, to make your boss impressed, to win money for your company but you don't have the energy left to make love to your spouse? Something's wrong. And let me say this, men, ladies, no wife wants to make love to a husband that's mean or verbally abusive. Ever, 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 ever. And I'll, I'll flip that. Um, ladies, no husband wants to make love to a woman that's a nag and that always wants to fix him, change him, or him to do something. If he would simply do number one and bring the team into unity on a regular basis, I guarantee your wife would rock your world a lot more often than she normally does. And so this woman started to make excuses after excuse. And in, and in Solomon 5, 6, she finally decided to open up the door to her husband. She said, but when I did, my love was gone. I died inside. I wanted to hear his voice. I desperately searched for him, but my love, it disappeared. Ladies, if you deny your husband in the area of sex in your marriage, he will disappear from you emotionally. And after he disappears emotionally and he's already disappeared from you sexually, let me listen real close. Um, uh, there's only one biblical outlet for a man to have sex and that's with his wife that's the only biblical outlet if you don't provide that for him the enemy can provide other outlets he can provide it in a cell phone and if you have been denying your husband sex most likely he's already found it in a cell phone or some way and I'm not saying that's your fault if he did that I'm just saying uh, if you would open up the door more often when he asked maybe that wouldn't happen I don't know our goal is to help each other in marriage. And so she started searching for her husband, searching for her husband. He had disappeared from her. She made excuses. She put it off and off and off again. And then finally he just stopped asking. So now she's searching for him. And so she started asking people, have you seen my husband? Have you seen my husband? And in verse 9 they said, what's so special about your lover that we should find him? And she started thinking. 
Now see, if she had done this beforehand, she was thinking about making that sale at work. She was thinking about the kids and what they need. She was thinking about taking care of this person over here, but she wasn't thinking about her husband. And now she started thinking about her lover. And in verse 10, she said, well, he's handsome and he's strong. His face is smooth. His eyes are beautiful. His cheeks, the one on his face, are as lovely as a garden. His lips are like lilies. His body's like ivory. His thighs are like... Micah was just telling me the other night how my thighs are like twigs from a pine tree. His mouth is sweet to kiss. She started thinking about all the reasons she loved that man. If she had just done that in the beginning, I wonder how things would have changed. And listen, I'll say this too. Every person struggles with their body. Everybody does. Okay, listen, ladies, I'm going to tell you a secret that your husband may not have communicated to you properly. He does not care what your body looks like. He cares about your attitude toward him. And when you want to make love to him and you initiate making love to him, that means more than anything else. You can exercise every day for three hours. That doesn't mean nothing if you don't want him. He wants you to desire him. And ladies, he, ladies she, they want you men to communicate with her well. First uh, Corinthians 7, 3, a man should fulfill his duties, a woman should fulfill her duties and a wife, and each should satisfy the other's needs. And so I don't know how often you should have sex or how often you communicate, but here's the question. Are you satisfying each other's needs in that marriage? That's the main question. So, point number one was unity. Point number two, I'm sure you remember for the rest of your life. Point number three, enjoy commitment. Enjoy commitment. Um, the deep point in this one is marriage actually represents the New Testament covenant of salvation. It represents salvation. If I get saved, how do I know God's going to keep his word? How do I know he's going to do what he said he's going to do? How do I know his word is true to me? Well, here's how you know. Just see how my wife and I have kept our commitment. That's what our answer should be. Uh, the goal of marriage is to keep the commitment. It represents the New Testament covenant. Here's what we, you, you, you realize how, and again, remember when Jesus told all this to his disciples, they're like, we don't even get married now, forget that. Um, covenant and a contract are two different things. And a lot of people think that marriage is a contract. It's not. Marriage is a covenant. Here's the difference. A contract, we protect our rights and we limit our responsibilities. In a marriage, a covenant, we give up our rights and we pick up our responsibilities. Let me tell you how deep of a covenant. First of all, the highest covenant in the universe is salvation. The second highest covenant in the universe is marriage. Highest covenant between any two people on planet Earth. And um, if you really think about the covenant of marriage, it's actually, even literally, it is more... Um, um, it is more sacrificial than any other contract you've ever seen. You might have a contract with your home and you're worried, is the bank going to come repossess our home even though we're paying the rent? Or Listen, those contracts, and some of you are so confident in those contracts. Let me tell you about the covenant of marriage. Here's what we say. We say, oh, for better or for? For richer or for? If we're healthy and if we're? And then if we're not stupid enough already, we add that last line, till death do us part. Oh my God. Oh my God. I forgot I said that. So Jesus' disciples and a bunch of other guys are asking him about marriage and divorce. 
And Jesus goes through this whole incredibly theological sermon. I mean, it is so filled with, you just can't even imagine what the, every phrase. One of the scriptures in Matthew 19, verse 8, he said to them this, Moses permitted divorce because of the hardness of hearts. But it was not that way, listen, in the beginning, before the fall of man, before sin came into the world. Okay, this is so deep. I pray to God at least one person in here gets this and loves it. Watch this. Oh my goodness, it's just so... Lord, help me communicate this well. So, there's the Mosaic Law, Ten Commandments, 22 Fence Laws, Old Testament, and then there's the New Covenant of Grace with Jesus Christ. Okay? Moses represents the law. Jesus represents grace. We understand that. People think that the law is void because of Jesus. Now, coming to God, the law is not needed. Salvation, the law is not needed. Okay, but the new covenant of grace actually has higher standards than the law. People don't get this. You watch. The law says, thou shalt not kill. New Testament says, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. If you could kill people, if you were allowed and it wasn't bad, some of y'all would rather it'd be easier to kill than to love your enemies. Let me do another one. Old Testament, don't commit adultery. New Testament, if you look at a woman in lust, you're an adulterer. Okay, I'll keep going because y'all aren't, I, I want to make sure you get this. Um, uh, Jesus said to tithe in Matthew 23, 23, but Old Testament has a lot about tithing in the, in the, in the, in the law. New Testament says every penny you have belongs to God. Do you see that grace is higher standard? Why is that? Why? How's, how's grace? Here's why. Grace is not do whatever you want to and God will forgive you. Grace is the empowerment to obey Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit in your life. There was no Holy Spirit available in the Old Testament because the sacrifice hadn't come. Jesus redeemed us from the curse. We don't have to live under the curse. We can choose to live under the blessing in our marriage. We can choose to be in unity rather than husband you telling your wife, you have to do what I say. We can choose to live under the blessing. Okay, now listen. Remember, I've been through a divorce, okay? So no one needs to feel any kind of condemnation. I've been through it. I know it's the, I still have nightmares about it. I'm still dealing with it. I still seek counseling, okay? I'm, it's not going to stop me from preaching what the Bible says about it. So listen real close. What Jesus taught his disciples blows my mind. He told them Moses permitted divorce because of the hardness of hearts. And in every divorce, somebody's got a hard heart. Somebody does in every divorce. Sometimes two, sometimes one, hard heart. You would think that he would say, under the law, you better not get a divorce. This is the law. This is what the marriage is. You cannot divorce. And you would think Jesus would come in with grace and say, oh, if you're not getting treated right, you just go ahead and leave that guy, leave that woman. You find somebody better. You would think that's what the Bible would say. Jesus said, Moses permitted divorce, but under grace, I'm going to give you the strength and the empowerment and my wisdom and my grace to stay in that covenant. Because God cares more about your spouse coming to Him than He does if you're happy or not. 
as your friend, if I was not your pastor, I would love to say, divorce that old fart and get him out of your house because you'll be so much happier. I'd love to tell you that because the truth is, some of you would be happier if you would divorce. I know there's couples here and in our second service, some of them are married to atheists, some of them are married to very um, just lazy men, some of, and it's usually the woman that serves God and the man that does That's usually how it is. And I would love to say, yep, leave them and you'll be happier. Leave them and you'll find somebody better. Leave them and your life will be easier. But grace says God wants your spouse to come to him so bad. He wants you to pray every day. He wants you to serve every day. He will give you the strength to go after his heart every single day until God gets a hold of him and changes his life. And that is what would please God more. I read a a story, true story years ago that I'll never forget. It was the president of this very um, huge university. And this president, man, he was the man. He made that place run smooth. It was successful because of his leadership skills. He was everything. But after some time, his wife developed Alzheimer's. Got really sick. Couldn't even remember who he was. And he was so wealthy, he paid for people to take care of his wife 24-7. I mean, they fed her and bathed her and clothed her and all that. One day, he came to a board meeting, and he very calmly told his board, I'm resigning as of today so I can go take care of my wife. Man, the board had a fit. They started blasting him, and how could you do this to us, and you're the reason we're successful, and if we just had you, you can't leave here. This, is, this, this university's everything. We need your skills. We need your time. We need your wisdom. You can't leave. And they fought back and forth, and there was arguing, and finally one guy on the board stood up from his chair and said, how could you leave us? You don't know you need to go take care of her. And he said this, Your wife doesn't even know who you are. And he stood up very calmly from his chair, and as he walked towards the exit door, he looked at all his buddies and said, I made a commitment to her 50 years ago. She may not know who I am, but I know who she is. Man, I wish I could... Remember, this is for people are getting married. This isn't for any of y'all. None of this sermon was for y'all. It's just for the ones who are about to get married. Divorce hurts so bad. It's a lot more painful than you can imagine if you haven't gone through. And God has promised to give us the grace. And the way marriage represents the new covenant is is like this. So God, I'm going to be in relationship with you But here's the problem. I'm going to do you wrong. There's going to be days where I'm going to turn my back on you. There's times where I have intentionally not done what you wanted me to do. What's going to happen when I'm not the perfect child of God and when I sin and when I do stupid things, God, how are you going to treat me? Here's what God responds with. I promise you, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And that is what a New Testament covenant in marriage is supposed to look like.